A heartbeat is defined as a single pulsation of the heart. Now, we would prefer ours be strung together. If you've ever been to a hospital, seen someone hooked up to the monitors, you get to see the line going across and the beeping. You get to see the rate of that heartbeat. You want to have a heartbeat. A heartbeat keeps you alive. (laughs) A heartbeat keeps you going. And any of you that have had heart issues, you know what happens when the heart is beating like it ought to beat. But there's another definition of heartbeat if you were to go to your dictionary and look it up. And when you looked it up, you would find that it would be something like this. An animating or vital unifying force. Now it's not talking about the physical beating of the heart, the pulsations of the heart. It's talking about a passion that drives you, that pulls you together and moves you forward. And I want to let you know, folks, that Grace Fellowship has a heartbeat. We have a passion that pulls us together and pulls us forward. What does that passion look like? What does that heartbeat look like? We have a heartbeat for God's glory. We want God to be glorified in everything that we do. And we glorify God best when we acknowledge him as God. We glorify God best when we bring our lives and the life of the church, when we bring those into line so that our heartbeat begins to beat in rhythm with God's heartbeat. The things that God loves, we love. The things that that God desires, we desire. And we begin to change. Grace Fellowship has, I believe, such a heartbeat to bring glory to God. We have a heartbeat for those who are lost and don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. See, that's God's heartbeat. We want to see men and women, boys and girls, come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We also have a heartbeat for each person who's connected with this body of Christ. Whether you're a member or uh, you've been attending but haven't joined, our, our, our heartbeat for you is exactly the same. And we express that heartbeat in what is called a mission statement, a statement of who we are and and what God's called us to do. And our mission statement is is very clear, simple, straightforward. You could probably all stand up and quote it, but I won't put you to the test right now. And, And it is this, Grace Fellowship exists to glorify God by bringing people into a life changing relationship with Jesus Christ. There's our heartbeat. That's our heartbeat for people. We exist We're here to bring glory to God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our desire. And I do believe that a heartbeat like that is in rhythm with the heartbeat of God. Now, that's kind of a broad overall thing, okay? A mission. But we flesh that out a little bit, and you get to see it when you walk in. You get to see this big sign that says, believe, belong, become. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? 
Well, our vision statement that fleshes out our mission statement is that Grace Fellowship is a community of faith where each person believes in Jesus and has growing faith. That means all of us. We believe in Jesus, we have a growing faith. We're a community of faith where each person belongs to a small group and is connected with other believers. You heard a little bit about that in the testimony this morning. There's a connection, there's a belonging. We, we, we are, we're interlocked, interlinked. Our lives are woven together. And then we're a community of faith where each person becomes more like Jesus daily in attitude and action. In other words, there's a, there's a growing to look more like Jesus. And folks, that goes way past just wearing a bracelet with WWJD on it. Okay, that, I mean, that's okay. But listen, a Buddhist could wear a WWBD. What would Buddha do? Okay, it, it goes beyond the bracelet. And the question you need to ask yourself is, as I look at my life, as I look at the progression since the time I came to know Jesus, whether it was whether I was 8 years old or 28 years old or 58 years old, whenever I came to know Jesus, when I look at my life, do I look more like Jesus? Are my attitudes and my actions more reflective of belonging to Jesus than they were yesterday, a year ago, 10 years ago? This is what we want. This is our heartbeat. I think it's important every once in a while for the church to say, to stand up and say, hey, listen, this is who we are and this is what we do. This is our heartbeat. This is what drives us forward. This is our passion for people. And so today I want to begin, and I'm just beginning today. We're going to talk about it at least the next couple of weeks to talk about this passion of ours, this heartbeat of ours for you. And today I want to begin where our, our sign begins with believing. Where we are a community of faith, where each person believes in Jesus and has a growing faith. And I'd like to start with a verse that, you know, it's an odd verse. It's just tucked away. Nobody's ever heard of this verse. Actually, you probably have. It's John 3.16. And it says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And what you're sitting there thinking is, what have you done, Pastor? Are you taking us back to Christian kindergarten here? I mean, this everybody knows this verse. There's nothing new that can be said about this verse. There's nothing that's going to excite me when I see this verse. This verse is... It's, it's time-worn. I've seen the signs that say John 3.16 and in football stadiums. I, I've, I've heard this verse all my life from the time I first went to vacation Bible school, the time I first went to Sunday school. I've heard this verse. There's nothing new under the sun that can be said about this verse. And I want to tell you, you're right. But simply because something is simple doesn't mean it's simplistic. This is perhaps the most profound stringing together of words that we have in our New Testament. 
Yes, can a kindergartner understand it? Absolutely. But I can tell you right now that the finest Bible scholars and the finest theological institutions of our world are still blown away by these few words. So what do these words tell us? First of all, it tells us that God loves us, that he so loves us. We have a God of love. Now, when we talk about love, sometimes we just say, hey, I love you, I love you, I love you, and it doesn't have a lot of stuff behind it. But you see, God's love is not a passive love. God's God's love is not that kind of stuff you find on the Valentine cards that Hallmark puts out. It's not all flowery and fluffy. God's love is a love that acted. And this is what John 3.16 tells us, that God so loved the world that he did something about it. He gave his only son. Now, why was that necessary? It was necessary because you and I were lost. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, and we had absolutely no hope of fixing ourselves, of cleaning ourselves. Can you imagine that? It's kind of funny because I love, I love kids. I love some of your kids, most of them. Okay, I love all your kids. And it's kind of funny because most of them love me too. And so I get lots and lots of, of hugs. And, and I'm glad we have refreshments, but, you know, a little kid comes running up to me. They throw their arms around me, and I'm thinking, oh, did they wash their hands after they ate that donut? I asked three of them this morning, are you sticky? Because <laughs> Jimmy don't do sticky. But, I, you know, I love those kids. And God's love, he understands that we are sticky. We're not clean. As a matter of fact, we're a filthy mess. Oh, if we could only see the hideous nature of our sin, the things that we think are so benign, so they're not going to hurt us, they're not going to bother us. And yet in the sight of heaven, it is the most grotesque, twisted, filthy thing. We can't see that. We're we're in the middle of it. We, We don't see that. But God saw it. And he could have done as he did with the flood and just said, I've had enough. You're out of here. But he didn't. This God of love acted. And he acted to give us his son. Now, this is huge. Because I love you. But if I had the choice between you and, and Jay... Or you and Jackie? (laughs) Sorry. Bye. But God didn't act that way. He loved you, fallen, broken, twisted, sin-stained as you are. He loved you so much that he sent his son, God in the flesh, to live a sinless life among us, but to endure every temptation that you've endured 
to endure being despised? Here's God in the flesh walking around, and people despised him. They didn't just dislike him. They despised him. They rejected him. They turned their backs on him. They accused the very son of God of being the son of the devil. And they went further. They arrested him. They tortured him. And they hung him on a cross. God so loved the world that he gave. We didn't take. He gave. His only son. That whoever would believe in him, trust in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. Folks, that verse never gets old. It never gets worn out over time. Do you have a favorite song? One of those songs that, I'm not talking, you know, something that, Taylor Swift just did or something. I'm not talking about it. My phone is kind of weird because I asked my song, what's the best song ever? And it starts playing a Taylor Swift song. I'm thinking, what does my phone know? But there are a few songs. There are a few songs that, that whenever I hear them, I, I, it just, I stop and I listen. Some of those songs are, are Secular. I don't think there's ever been a more beautiful secular song written than Etta James singing at last. I just have to stop. And I don't think I will ever tire of hearing it is well with my soul. We sing it every week. You've got songs like that. John 3.16 is like that. It is music. To my soul. And to everyone who is in Christ, because this is the culmination of God's plan to save broken, sinful humanity, because Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This is God's eternal plan for us. John 3:16. And what we see here is that salvation is tied to Jesus and Jesus alone. In fact, there is no salvation apart from believing in Jesus. This is, this is important. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no hope of salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Grace Fellowship, you you may know of Grace Fellowship. You may have been introduced to Grace Fellowship because we are very big on moving people outside the walls to, to touch the lives and hearts of people who are hurting, to go into the schools, to go into homes, to go into the community, and to make a difference in the name of Jesus Christ. And we promote that heavily. Grace Fellowship does good things, and people know us because we 
do good things. But I, I want to tell you, Grace Fellowship does not primarily exist to do good things. We are not, first and foremost, a charity. Grace Fellowship is a church. Jesus himself commissioned the church to make disciples. This is our heartbeat. Yes, does it mean we do good things? Absolutely. As we live out our faith, as we display the glory of God and the love of God, we come and we connect with people where they are and we we may provide food or we may provide clothing or we may provide school supplies or we may provide encouragement or we may go in the jails just to be there and to bring them some measure of love when they've been abandoned by everyone else. That's not primarily why we exist. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And that's part of key, integral, heart of who we are is making disciples. And so we call men and women and boys and girls to place their faith in Jesus. To trust him and him alone for their salvation. Many of you are there. You know that. You've trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You could stand up and boldly declare, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. But in the gathering this size, there are those who've not placed their faith in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean they don't like Jesus. It doesn't mean they've never heard of Jesus, nor does it mean that they don't believe things about Jesus. People know a lot about Jesus. Not everybody. There's certain people who never heard of Jesus. Usually in, in, you know, in our area, we expect people know things about Jesus. They may know the Christmas story. They, they see that. Maybe they watch uh, uh, the, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. If you're going to watch one, that's a good one to watch. Maybe they watch that. They get to hear the story out of the Gospel of Luke as Linus goes on. And he reads that, that faith story, that story of Jesus into the Christmas trees and lights and all these things. He reads that. He, he brings that to the center of the story. They know, may know that. And they may know Jesus as a good teacher, as a good man, maybe even as a prophet. But do they know him? You see, what a lot of people do is they've got this, this image of Jesus, this word Jesus, and they fill this word up with, with all sorts of things about Jesus, some true, some not so true. And they begin, instead of allowing uh, to be shaped in us being shaped in the image of God, they begin to shape Jesus in the image of someone that I can, I can deal with that guy. I can, there's a box I can put Jesus in. Jesus ceases then to become God in the flesh, and he's just another guy, a good guy, but another guy. We manufactured Jesus, a a Jesus we know he was born in a stable, but we may even know he's hung on a cross, but do we understand that he's a suffering Savior? We may have heard about the resurrection, but do we understand he's a conquering King? It's not the Jesus everybody believes in. There are a lot of people who believe things about Jesus, but when it comes to believing in Jesus, trusting in Him as Savior and Lord, clinging to Him and Him alone, 
It's different, you see. We might prefer the Jesus we make up. But Jesus, Jesus is who he is. He's not who we want him to be. The Jesus you may want may not be a Jesus who can save. He's a substitute, but not one that can save. How do we discover this Jesus? He reveals himself to us, and not in some mystical thing. He reveals himself to us in the pages of Scripture. We can walk where Jesus walked. We can hear what Jesus said. We can experience what Jesus experienced and the disciples experienced as we read through the pages of the gospel. Oh, how tragic it is when we leave this on the shelf, when we can't even find it from one Sunday to another. We've never cracked it. It's it's still got pages that stick together. And God is declaring, here is life. We treat it as if it is a leather covered ancient artifact rather than the words of life. We discover Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus that the church is to declare. You see, the church is to declare. Making disciples means that we are declaring the gospel. What is the gospel? We don't have to guess at that. Scripture tells us what the gospel is. In 1 Corinthians 15, you may want to write this down. It's not, it's not on your notes. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. This is what we read. And this is where Paul says, hey, listen, this is the gospel. He says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, and here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. In other words, he was raised and he appeared, people saw him. Listen, a, 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 a gospel that is a devoid of a dying, crucified Savior is not a gospel. A gospel that is devoid of a resurrected Savior is not a gospel. A gospel that is devoid of a conquering king is not a gospel. A gospel that is not tied to the scriptures. Notice, he went back to the scriptures every time. According to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. A gospel that is devoid of the scriptures is not a gospel. We can't make up Jesus. Not if we want a Jesus who saves. And our desire, our heartbeat is to share this gospel, this good news of Jesus. And our desire is to see men and women and children come to receive that truth as their truth. As true truth. As the only truth. And our desire tracks right along with God's desire. Who's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you hear the heartbeat of God? Not wanting anyone to perish. What does that mean? It certainly means the people are sitting here. It means the people live on your street, the people go to your school, people to work at your place of employment. Even those jack wagons that drive on I-20. Even them. 
Even that family member that can't stand you. Even them. Not wanting anyone to perish. But all to come to repentance. The words that the Apostle Paul spoke to the Philippian jailer are just as true today as they were when they were spoken. When he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus, I promise you there is no better day than today. And in a few minutes, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And I want to ask you, don't let fear or pride keep you from doing what the Holy Spirit may be leading you to do today. Those are two huge enemies, huge enemies. We may blame it, oh, it's the devil. devil. Yes, the devil drives this, but I'm telling you, the two things that keep us from going where God wants us to go and doing what God wants to do are fear and pride. And there are many people who sat in worship services like this who sat in large crusades from Billy Graham, who knew, who knew that the Holy Spirit was drawing them to come and to accept Jesus as Savior, but they didn't step out. They didn't make a move because they were afraid or because they were filled with pride or both. In a few minutes, we're going to give you an opportunity to say pride's not going to get the best of me and fear's not going to get the best of me. Because the Holy Spirit is drawing me and I'm coming. I'm coming. But see, we're not only, our heartbeat is not only for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ, but also for people to grow in their belief. And Peter challenges us with some beautiful words in 2 Peter 3.18 when he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once a person has accepted Jesus as Savior... We don't go pat them on the back and go, okay, go get them, tiger. No, we come alongside them. They become part of who we are. And we as a church have a responsibility to help them, to help them to grow in their faith. Now, I will say this. Every believer has a responsibility to grow in their faith. Okay? You have the You can't... Don't stand up before God and say, hey, it's Grace Fellowship's fault. They didn't give me anything. When it's your fault. Because you didn't receive anything. You thought, okay, hey, I got my ticket punched. You see see those characters? Was it down in Florida? They were selling golden tickets to heaven. 99 bucks a piece. Guaranteed to get in. Just stick that thing in the casket. They told them it was pure gold. And I'm thinking, hey, I know a lot of people, if you lay that gold in the casket... And that golden ticket in the casket, it ain't going to be there when the lid's closed. Okay, somebody's got their ticket. They spent $99, won't even get in. Well, it's not going to get them in anyway. But some of us treat salvation like that, like we've got a golden ticket. And that's all we need. We're on cruise control from now on. Church, don't need it. Small groups, don't need them. Sharing my faith, don't need it. None of that stuff. Doesn't matter. I can go through a prayerless Christian life. No big deal. Got my ticket punched. Got to let me in. It's not the Christian life. It's not the Christian life God wants for you. It's not what we want for you. We want you to be growing in your faith. 
We are disciples of Jesus, and that means that we never stop learning. We never stop growing. We need a church family then that helps us to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is said that uh, well over 50% of high school graduates, men, 50% of male high school graduates, never read another book in their lives. Imagine that. They get out of high school and they, whew, got that by, a, you know, I'm done, checked out. I will never, ever read another book. I'm done. I don't want to learn. I don't want to grow. But that's not what it's like in the Christian life. We don't know, okay, I've been, I've been saved, I've been baptized. I don't need to do anything else. No more growth for me. No more learning for me. No more changing for me. No. And the church family is what you need this is the, the soil in which you are planted in and can help you to grow. Now, part of that is a worship service like this. When we come together and we talk about worship and we encourage worship and we draw you into worship and, and we open God's word and we begin to read from God's word and to share this and to, and to show you how it applies to your life. But this isn't it. There are a lot of people think, hey, I'll just show up on Sunday morning. I'll get an hour, hour and 15 minutes and I'll go and I'm done. There's so much more for you, so much more God has for you, and so much more that the church can do for you. We talked about small groups. We're going to keep talking about small groups. Why? Because small groups are so important. It's a way for you to come together in a group of people that love you, who will keep confidence with you, but who can then share what God's Word means and encourage you and hold you accountable. And You're just not going to get that anywhere. It's hard to get it in a group like this. You can get it in a small group. We also have opportunities to serve. And don't overlook these. These opportunities to serve doesn't mean that, hey, we're just kind of sending you off solo to do something. We want you to serve alongside other people. How many of you have been to Where's Valley with with a group? Okay. Is that a growing experience? Okay, you you say something, I I can hear you. It's a growing experience. They come back, they're glowing. But they also know each other and they know Jesus more. How many of you have been on a a mission trip? uh, Africa, Dominican Republic, anybody? Come on, raise your hand. Is that a growing experience? You better believe it. How many of you go and work in our, our jail ministry? Raise your hand. Okay. Do you go in there by yourself, just nobody else with you? No, you go in there with, well, Ralph does because he's, he's, he's got a special role there. But most of the time you're going in with other people. You're going in shoulder to shoulder. Is that a growing experience? Absolutely. Serving, opportunities to serve are opportunities to grow. We want you to grow. And sometimes the best way is you jump in with both feet. There are other things that we can do as a church to help you. If you don't have a Bible, would you please tell me we'll get you a Bible. If you need study materials, we'll get you study materials. We do things like this women's Bible study, this this Gideon study, another opportunity for you to grow. In other words, if you choose to grow and you allow your church to come alongside and help you to grow, then it becomes a cooperative effort. 
The church has a part in your growth. But you must commit to your own spiritual growth. And this is part of our heartbeat for you. For you to believe and to grow in your faith. And to become more like Jesus with each passing day. So let me ask you, spiritually, where are you? Have you received Jesus Christ as Savior? Have you accepted him as Lord of your life? Are you confident that if you stood before the Lord right now, that you have a home, you'd be admitted, you'd be welcomed, that you'd hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you know that? If not, is the Holy Spirit now working on you? He didn't just start this morning. The Holy Spirit's drawing you. He's been drawing you for a while. But this may be your moment. This may be your time. This may be that key where you say, I will no longer allow fear to stand in the way. I will no longer allow pride to keep me in chains. Jesus is calling and I'm coming. I'm coming. And this is your moment this morning. This is an opportunity for you to come and say, I've come today because the Holy Spirit's drawing me to Jesus. And I, he, I want to declare my faith in him as Savior and Lord. Now, some of you, you've already done that. But you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I'm the guy or I'm the girl with the golden ticket. I'm the one who said, hey, I'm in. But when I look at my life, I see no growth at all. If I had to use one word to describe my spiritual life, it would be stagnant. It's just going nowhere. And I can't blame my church. I have to start looking at myself. I've got to want it. I've got to pursue it. Some of you may need to just come simply before the Lord today. Use this as a holy altar, a place to come and to pour out your heart before God and say, God, I am so, so sorry. I know you want to save me, but I also know you want to change me. And so today, I want a new start, a new beginning. This is your time. This is your moment. You can come. Some of you need a place to plug in a church home. The Lord's leading you here. This is your time. You can come. As the praise team comes forward, you prepare to respond as the Lord leads you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word. Sometimes it can seem so simple. And yet we know that even in a verse like John 3.16, that it can knock our socks off again and again and again. And so, Lord, I pray for those. I pray for those, Lord, that you are drawing to yourself even now who need Jesus, who need to repent, who need a fresh start, who need a church home. 
Lord, that you would do what only you could do. Hold fear at bay. Break the chains of pride. And let us respond. In Jesus' name, amen.